We can turn with me your Bibles to the book of Hosea, chapter 4. As we continue our studies in the prophet Hosea, we're going to look at verses 11 through 19 this evening. I'll begin reading at verse 11. Hosea chapter 4, begin reading at verse 11. Harlotry, wine, and new wine enslave the heart. My people ask counsel from their wooden idols, and their staff informs them. For the spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray, and they have played the harlot against their God. They offer sacrifices on the mountaintops and burn incense on the hills, under oaks, poplars, and terebinths, because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters commit harlotry and your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they commit harlotry, nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go apart with harlots and offer sacrifices with a ritual harlot. Therefore, people who do not understand will be trampled. Though you, Israel, play the harlot, let Judah not offend, or not, let not Judah offend. Do not come up to Gilgal, nor go up to Beth Avon, nor swear an oath, saying, As the Lord lives. For Israel is stubborn like a stubborn calf. Now the Lord will let them forage like a lamb in open country. Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Their drink is rebellion. They commit harlotry continually. Her rulers dearly love dishonor. The wind has wrapped her up in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. Amen. Well, let us pray. O Lord, our God, we are thankful for what you teach us concerning the seriousness of sin and the seriousness of idolatry. We know that without Christ Jesus, we would have died in our trespasses and sins. We would have been punished for our idolatry. And so help us to see the seriousness of it. Help us to be watchful against it. And we know that that is the great sin. Every other sin is a symptom of this very one. We love ourselves. We love the creature rather than you. And so thank you so much for that we can find forgiveness and have found forgiveness in Christ, that all of our idolatrous thoughts and deeds are forgiven in him, past, present, and future. Help us to endeavor to honor you. Help us endeavor to do what is right in your sight, especially as it pertains to worship. Help us to worship you acceptably, for you are a consuming fire. Help us to worship you with reverence and with awe. Help us to enter into this place with thanksgiving, but also with trembling as well. And we're thankful even in our prayers, we can come before you as a child to a father and we can ask according to your will and you do give it. Even as a good father would teach us, even as a good father uh, would discipline us, thank you that you are that blessed heavenly father. So please help us to be watchful in our own hearts. Help us to be careful of covenant drift. Help us to be watchful against backsliding. And we're thankful that you do remind us, you do shake us out of our slumbers. And we pray that you would shake us out of our slumbers tonight, we pray. We pray that you do this by your word and by your spirit. We know that there are hard things for us to hear in the book of Hosea. There are difficult things to grasp and understand. And so we ask again that you would send forth your spirit. Help us to understand. Help us to learn. Help us to be awake and attentive. Help us to hear from you tonight, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, when God made this world, he said that it was very good. And when God made mankind, he made him in his image and he endowed man with a mind, with an ability to think, with an ability to act according to what God has said. The ability to think and know what is right and good according to God's good creation. And the most blessed thing that man was supposed to do was to worship God, to glorify him and enjoy him forever. 
It makes Adam's sin and idolatry all the more insane when you see the goodness that God gave to man, when you see the good creation that God made uh, in the world around us. God made man a, uh, man a vice regent. God made Adam and gave him a garden to till. He said, don't eat from that one tree. And what does Adam do? Well, he eats from that one tree and brings sin and misery and insanity into this world. And when you consider Yahweh's redemption of Israel under the Old Testament, there was nothing good about Israel. There was nothing great about them. Yet Yahweh was pleased to bring them up out of the land of Egypt. And when you consider what he did for them, how he entered into covenant with them, how he gave them the promised land, it makes their idolatry all the more insane. They can speak with the living God, and yet they would rather talk to wooden idols. The irony is that Israel thought everything was fine at the time of the prophet Hosea. And there's lots of irony and sarcasm this evening. They thought everything was fine in the northern kingdom, but in reality, everything had gone insane. Remember, this is the time of the divided kingdom. Remember, God said to Solomon, it won't be during your day, but in your son's day, I'm going to divide the kingdom. We have Israel and the 10 tribes in the north, and then we have two tribes in the south, which is Judah, and we have Judah and Benjamin in that southern part where Jerusalem is, uh, where the Davidic throne is. And as you see in the northern kingdom, there was no good king in Israel. Everyone did was wicked in the sight of the Lord God most high. And everything they did that was wicked had to do with the worship of God most high. They worshiped idols rather than the one true living God. And that trickled down into the rest of society as the rest of society engaged in harlotry and actual literal adultery. But it stems from their spiritual adultery and their spiritual harlotry. That's why the message of the book of Hosea is Hosea's marriage to Gomer. It is a picture. Her actual adultery is a picture of Israel's adultery to her husband, Yahweh. It is an actual picture of the wickedness of, that Israel engages in. And so we come, have come to a new section in the book of Hosea. Uh, we're perhaps looking at waiting for repentance, according to John McKay in chapters 4 through 6. But really throughout the rest of the prophecy, there's these oracles of doom, oracles of taunt, oracles of warning. Uh, there's oracles of hope as well that are sprinkled throughout uh, these, uh, the, this book. Uh, but there is this cycle that we see throughout this book. Tonight, there's a lot of doom. Tonight, there is a lot of sarcasm. Tonight, there is a lot of irony. And the reason is idolatry is insane. Idolatry is insanity. Idolatry is absolute craziness. Sometimes people try to make it sophisticated. You think of the devil, you know, it's okay. You can be like gods or the Canaanites with Israel. Look, do this. You can have nice things or even people today. People make idolatry sound good, sound alluring, look nice. It looks pleasurable. It looks good. Everything is just fine. But in reality, it only leads to insanity. I think there are problems that we can apply to the church of Christ today as well. People want sense experience in the church of Christ. During the time of COVID, when people were not going to church, People of churches promoted. You can have this online worship experience. It was all about what the people felt, all about what the people wanted, rather than what God wants, rather than what God says. There's idolatry in how we worship as well. People want puppets. 
ponies and programs. And sometimes you ask yourselves, and there are lots of good churches out there, but some churches really have gone insane. And you do ask yourself, they really have gone insane. Have the people gone nuts with what they are doing in their churches? But one thing that we can apply to ourselves I do believe we got the goods. I believe we got the truth. I'm unashamed about that very thing. But God's people can still backslide. You and I can still backslide. And sometimes the application can come in covenant, uh, covenantal cloudiness to the things of God. When other things begin to take priority over the means of grace. Other things take priority over the things of God. And so we do have to be watchful. Thankfully, we are forgiven and covered in the blood of Christ. But God's people can still, true believers, can legitimately backslide, not to falling away. God's people will never fall away, but legitimate backsliding for the people of God. And so we can glean some good things in this, these verses. And in Hosea 4, verse 11 through 19, Hosea sarcastically warns Judah about the insanity of Israel's debased worship. He, in reality, he is challenging Israel, but it is a warning for the southern kingdom as well. So we'll look at this warning. We'll look at this sarcastic warning under two headings this evening. First of all, we'll see the debasement of worship, verses 11 through 14. Then secondly, we'll see the warning for Judah in verses 15 through 19. So the debasement of worship and then the warning for Judah, the debasement of worship and the warning for Judah. Let's first look at the debasement of worship in verses 11 through 14. Now, we saw last time Israel's lack of knowledge. Israel did not trust in God Almighty. They did not listen to the covenant that God had made with them. They went after the Baals instead. It's not that God had not revealed himself to them. They just didn't want to listen to what he had to say. And we saw how in Israel, sin was unrestrained. One thing that God does in this world is he restrains sin. One way to see judgment in this world is when God begins to let sin go. And so you saw that in Israel. We saw how there's swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery. They break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. And the reason was because of their lack of knowledge. They didn't follow God's ways. They didn't honor that old covenant, a covenant of works for the people in the land. And now the whole society has been infected with idolatry and been infected with adultery. And what we can see is that there is nothing new under the sun. Since Adam brought idolatry in this world, Israel's problems are not unlike ours today. Again, Israel is not, a, or we're not a theocracy. Israel was, but you can see the wickedness and uh, insanity of sin all around us today. Man worships the creature rather than the creator. And certainly we see this in the way Hosea presents, or God presents to the people of Israel what they are doing. And notice we see their insane or debased worship in verses 11 through 13. Notice it starts with an enslaved heart or an enslaved mind. I must confess, I'm not a big fan of the head heart distinctions, dear brethren. I know what people are getting that, at that when they say that. We have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. But we really need to know what drives us to do what is right. If I can just say, everything we do in this world starts with the head, doesn't it? 
we see something, we hear something, we make a judgment concerning that thing, uh, and then we either reject it or accept it, and then we move to do what is right. Everything starts with knowledge. Everything starts with truth. Everything starts with things that go into our heads and hopefully then stir us on to do that which is right and that which is good. People might say, but the demons, they, be- they did not believe, dear brethren. They knew who the one true God was, but they rejected him. They did not trust in him. People can understand something, but they must accept it. They must believe upon it. And then after believing upon that, do what then is right. And so enslaved heart, enslaved mind, those things, if we take that head heart distinction, is in view with what we see in verse 11. The whole man is enslaved. The whole man has gone insane. The whole man has been dulled. His judgment has been removed. And because he doesn't have proper judgment, then he doesn't do that which is right. That's what idolatry does. That's what harlotry does. That's what too much wine does. That's what too much new wine does. And that's exactly what he says. Harlotry, wine, and new wine enslave the heart. And remember, brethren, these things, idolatry and harlotry and wine and new wine all go together. We saw in chapter two that they were attributing all these good things, not to Yahweh, but to Baal. They were attributing all their blessings, not to the high king of heaven and the creator of this world, but to a wooden idol. They looked ridiculous They were worshiping and speaking to a wooden idol. See how everything clouds, everything makes one infected, how uh, uh, everything, all these things make one not able to bring proper judgment. That's why Hosea's marriage is meant to be such such a vivid picture. Brethren, we all scoff at fornication, right? At least we should scoff at fornication. But do we ever scoff at idolatry in the household of God? Do we ever scoff at the idolatry in our own hearts, dear brethren? Do we ever scoff at those things? That's why the picture that Hosea's uh, marriage brings is so important. Here comes Hosea. Here comes his children. It was meant to be a vivid picture for the wicked generation. For that wicked people, when there was a lot of prosperity in the land, things are going fine, things are going great. But in reality, they had enslaved hearts and minds. Last time we saw how sin blinds, and today we see how it enslaves. And brethren, as I said, there is a lot of insanity in this world around us, and it is because of men's rebellion against God. And the most insane thing is the people who are insane don't know they're insane. I'm going to say insane a lot today because we need to pay attention. And sometimes people like to say the reason they don't think they're insane is because they were too sophisticated, dear brethren. Usually if we see a pagan in the bush and they're worshiping the sun, we're kind of like, yeah, that's a little weird, right? But there is sophisticated paganism out there, isn't there? And even too, you know, Don McClure, who was a missionary in Africa, he said that the people, when they had a new baby, you would never say that it was a beautiful looking baby because they were afraid of a thing called the evil eye. And if you said the baby was beautiful, they were afraid that evil eye would come in and attack that baby. Superstition. Again, we think that's weird. We think that's odd. Now, on the flip side, the tribes people that Don McClure was a missionary to, they thought, They were weird because of all the boatloads of things that they brought in, all their materials. You have so many things. You have all that. You see, 
Sometimes we take good things and we make them bad gods. Maybe we don't worship the sun, but we might worship our things. We might worship our phones. We might worship other things, dear brethren. And even then, there is much paganism in this present world in which we live. The world has gone insane, but it sounds sophisticated. World leaders promote it. Experts think it's okay. And so we just go, fine, that's great. It's under the guise of love. It's under the guise of be who you want to be. It's under the guise of relativism. Just be whatever you wish to be. Now, there's a philosophical undergirding. Certainly sin uh, is the overarching or uh, overarching explanation. But as we see cause and effect in history, there is a certain philosophy that has been promoted since the Enlightenment, and we're seeing the ramifications of it today. Things aren't really what they are. So that a man doesn't have to be a woman, or a woman doesn't have to be a man. And people have no self-awareness when it comes to this very thing. I like to follow sports, and I like to follow powerlifting. And in the Canadian Powerlifting Union, if you want to participate as a transgender, you don't have to say it. You just have to say you're transgender. That's all you do. You have to do any tests. You have to do anything. And so there was a guy who transitioned from a male to a female, actually still a guy, and he went powerlifting and he broke all these records. And then another guy who's trolling the whole system, who looks like me, who looks like a real man, just went and said, I'm a, I'm a female. And he went and broke all the records again. And the first person, the first guy, was mad at the other guy. No self-awareness, dear brethren. People don't understand. People don't recognize there is insanity in this present age. And it's not just in that. Insanity is prevalent everywhere in this world. Because sin and idolatry bring insanity to this world. And you see it in verses 12 and 13. My people ask counsel from their wooden idols. Brethren, if I was walking around talking to a rock, you'd think I'm nuts, right? If I was walking around chattering to myself sometimes, I've told you before, when I'm prepping for a sermon, I start to move and start to, my wife looks over and she's like, yeah, that guy's a little weird. But if, especially if they're talking to a rock, can you imagine people worshiping to idols? And that's what they do. It is insanity to speak to wooden things when there is the one true and living God. Psalm 115, which we read at the outset, talks about the ridiculousness of idolatry. Eyes they have, mouths they have, but do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. That's what sin does. We worship the creature rather than the creator. So the people are speaking to these wooden idols. They're talking to their staffs, the, 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 probably the, uh, perhaps a sage's staff to try and manipulate the world around them. It is absolute madness. And he goes on to say, why? For the spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray. And they have played the harlot against their God. That is the central issue, isn't it? It's they did not worship the one true God. The world has not worshipped the one true God. That is the main problem in this world. Man does not worship the creator. Israel did not worship their redeemer. 
thanks be to God for Christ, who redeems us from our idolatry, who saves us and uh, forgives us for our wickedness, that in him we might have a right mind because of the forgiveness and the power that is found in him. But the people of Israel, spiritual harlotry that they have engaged in because they have committed and played the harlot against their God. John McKay says, at a physical level, they are robbed of understanding and sound judgment. But participation in the Baal cult robs them of more than that since they lose their ability to see clearly the reality of the Lord, his provision for them, and demands on them. And he continues on with this ridiculousness in verse 13. They go to mountains. They offer sacrifices on the mountaintops. They burn incense on the hills under oaks, poplars, and terebinths. Brother, mountains in the Bible aren't all bad, are they? Sinai, Zion, dear brother, we are coming to the mountain of the Lord, according to the book of Hebrews. But when you're a pagan, here's how you think. Mountains are high. God's dwelling up there rather than God being omnipresent. But God's up there. And so the way for me to get closer to God is to, well be on a mountain. That was their thinking. I'm closer to God. He might hear me better if I'm high up on the mountain rather than walking around near sea level. I mean, that's very superstitious, isn't it? And paganism is manipulation. How can I manipulate the presence of God? How can I manipulate God to get what I want? How can I manipulate the the, the situation around me to make it seem like God is near? They wanted to do that for this very reason. And they went and did it in the place that God, did, or, or that God had not chosen. God had chose, uh, picked one place. That was his temple. And that was in Jerusalem. This will come up again when we get to verse 15. But brethren, there is some modern application for the church with what we see here. Sometimes people want to be close to God through every means except the means of grace. Dear brethren, how has God said he would expand his church? How does, what is the great commission, which I believe is about the church? Make disciples, all nations, baptize them, and teach them, dear brethren. Why do you think Paul in his dying day, why do you think I have said, since this church has started, the best thing for the people of God is to be under the word of God? Because it's how God works. It's how God changes. It's how God brings about work amongst his people. There are people out there, Christians out there, who say, I love Jesus, but not the church. How can you say that, dear brethren, when Jesus died for the church? I get there's bad churches out there. I get that there's no perfect church out there. We're not a perfect church, dear brethren. Look at us. I love you all, but... We're not perfect in any way, except in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have our issues. We have our problems. We have things that drive us nuts, dear brethren. Thanks be to God for Christ. We're doing our best according to what his word has said. And there are some things that are very clear when it comes to what worship is. People want mentorship. I'm not against mentorship, brethren. People want discipleship. I'm not against discipleship. People want a spiritual advisor who charges them, I have no idea how much, but probably an arm and a leg. But they don't want this. I've said it before. I've heard it from others. The healthiest sheep are the ones that are morning and evening. Morning and evening, prayer is helpful too. They are the healthiest sheep in this 
uh, what I've observed in my time in the ministry. But I'm not trying to be legalistic with that. You know, we're not saved by church going, but if we are saved, shouldn't we love to be where, where Christ is? And I mean that in a you know, a whole, an encouraging type of way. It's a blessing to come to the house of the Lord. And I get distance. I get all that sort of stuff, dear brethren. But, you know, we do have it going online. Do you, I mean, is that so hard? Just, I mean, at least come in the morning and click. There it is. I mean, are we so lazy these days that we can't even do that in this world? See, brethren, that's where we need to have some self-examination in our own hearts. And I confess, dear brethren, in my own heart, sometimes I do not want to go to the house of the Lord. And I'm the pastor. I don't want to come sometimes because I'm tired and weary and it gets late sometimes. But brethren, there is nothing better than to come into the house of the Lord and sing praises to his name. And the way we do that is faithfully. And he is there to be, uh, to present, uh, to be with us and to help us and encourage us, not on mountaintops, not under oaks, not poplars or terebinths, but in the house of the Lord. And notice some sarcasm in there, the, in the middle of verse 13, because their shade is good. Now, that could be that the people were engaging in fornication and the shade was a way to scorch the sun and hide them from what they're doing, hide what they're doing from the Lord God. But Perhaps, or also, perhaps he's just being ironic. All that those trees are good for is shade. All that those trees are good for is providing some relief from the sun. There's no other benefit like these people were thinking. He is being sarcastic. And if I may say, I do think we need some sarcasm, <laughs> dear brethren. Some say preachers shouldn't be sarcastic. I think they're wrong. <laughs> I think sometimes sarcasm can be sinful. I get that. I'm sure I've done and engaged in sinful sarcasm, for which I am sorry. But I think there's a need for it, and I think there's a place for humor because sometimes we have grown so dull. Sometimes we have grown so sleepy that we need a bit of humor, don't we? Because when we hear something funny in the Bible, you know what it's meant to do? Cause us to think about the seriousness of what that is trying to, to convey. The same thing is true with sarcasm. I mean, what's he saying here? All it's good for is this. Here's how ridiculous you're being, you Israelites. All the tree is good for is shade. It has nothing to, it has no religious value whatsoever. And sometimes the demeanor of the preacher needs to match the demeanor of the message, dear brethren. I admit sometimes I don't smile as much as I should. Sometimes I've seen preachers who go, isn't that just wonderful? Without smiling at all. You know, smile a little if you think it's wonderful. But if it's serious, we only need to be a little bit more serious. If it's sarcastic, you know, a little sarcasm probably is good for us. Now, if you're offended by the sarcasm that I engage in, you should be more offended by the idolatry in our own hearts. That's probably something we need to be more aware of rather than what the preacher does all the time. Okay, uh, notice in verses 13 and 14, we see what this debased insanity uh, leads to. Idolatry leads to adultery and how widespread it is. Therefore, you daughters, your daughters commit adultery and your brides commit harlotry. Rampant adultery. The ladies were supposed to be the pure ones, right? But look what's happening. Brides, daughters, 
the ones whom the fathers would give away, they're just engaging in it all the time. And notice brides or daughters-in-law. What's the implication? They're married. They're violating the marriage bed, and it all stems from and starts with spiritual adultery. And it flows out into, they see something that they think is good, but it's debased, it's wrong. They think, wow, here's what the Canaanites are doing. They're engaging in fornication to elicit some response from Baal. Well, let's do that very thing. Wouldn't that be great? We're being religious when we do it. They're all engaging in it for religious reasons. So the brides, the daughters, the men, verse 14, I will not punish your daughters when they commit harlotry, nor your brides when they commit adultery. This is not forgiveness here. What he is trying to say is punishment is still going to come. Punishment is still going to happen, but it's going to be delayed just a little bit. And the reason it's the main, or the main focus is not so much on the ladies, although they're partly to blame too, but the men. For the men themselves go apart with harlots and they offer sacrifices with a ritual harlot. It perhaps has the idea they're on their way to church and they go find a prostitute. That's what was going on in Israel. The people really do sound insane and perhaps they're trying to excuse it. We all kind of sound insane when we try to excuse our own sin, don't we? And certainly you see that here. Well, the Men go apart. Well, we're doing this for religious reasons. We're doing it to honor God. Well, he desires obedience, not sacrifice. It is rampant, and God will bring judgment upon them. Therefore, who people who do not understand, people who do not know, they will be trampled. And all this is meant to teach us how debased idolatry is, dear brethren. That's what Romans 1 teaches, isn't it? He talks about the universal problem of sin. What's the thing he says before he drives to homosexuality? What's the homosexuality is a symptom of the greatest sin and the greatest disease. And what's that? Idolatry. And we see very clearly as he talks about how the wrath of God is revealed against ungodliness and wickedness that those who suppress the truth... They shall be judged. I'm paraphrasing, but I want to actually read what it says. Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. You see, the creation or the, the natural law, natural theology, natural law does not save. The law written on the heart does not save the creation around us seeing it does not save but the creation around us and the natural law in our hearts gives us no excuse before god for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and godhead so that they are without excuse because although they knew god they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, in birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So what does God do? He gives them over. He gives them over to their lusts. He gives them over to their unclean hearts. He gives them over to dishonor their bodies among themselves, to exchange the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed. That is how wicked man is. That is how debased idolatry is, dear brethren. 
And again, there is some application for the church as a whole. And again, I, I want to be careful, but we have to recognize the importance of worshiping God acceptably. Roman or Hebrews chapter 12, worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And let's be honest, some churches, as Jesus warns, have become a synagogue of Satan, have they not? And noticed in Revelation 2 and 3, what are the two things he describes? Uh, eating a meat offered to idols, so idolatry, and sexual morality. Churches engages in that. Jesus even says, my servants, to one of the churches. Even my servants can be allured. Even God's people can be drawn in. Even God's people can engage in those things. That is why we all have to be watchful. Think of the problems in Corinth. They wanted sensual things. They wanted things that appeal to the senses. They wanted tongues and prophecy because they could see all those very things. Men were having their father's wives. I mean, you read about the church at Corinth. You think about all that's going on there. Would you attend the church in Corinth? If you're looking for a church, would you go to the church in Corinth with all their problems and all their issues? It can happen, even in good Churches And Christ will always have a true church in the present world in which we live. But individual local churches can and do degenerate into a synagogue of Satan. And the reason is people want things they see. People want things that are pleasing. People want things that smell. People want things that they observe. That's why in the book of Hebrews, and the reason they wanted to go back to the Old Testament, is because they could see it. They could see the sacrifices. They could smell the incense, dear brethren. But when it comes to Christ and the new covenant, we believe by faith. And as we saw this morning, we believe by faith. We shall see him one day. But we worship him according to truth and according to the spirit. McKay says, the pleasantness of the groves of Baal worship is an instance of how carefully Satan sugars the pill of rebellion, which he induces mankind to swallow. Looks nice, smells nice, feels nice. But what does God say about worship? We must worship him acceptably, according to his word, a with the word. Pray the word, sing the word, preach the word, partake of the word. Because idolatry can creep into the church of Christ. Idolatry can creep into our own hearts, but idolatry can and does creep into the church of Christ where Churches just look like the world, and what you win them with is what you win them to. We want to win people. I can't remember who said that. I think it was T. David Gordon. What you win them with is what you win them to. We want to win them with the Word of God. We want Christ to win people with truth and not through idolatry. So that's the debasement of worship. Let's then look secondly at the warning for Judah, verses 15 through 19. Warning for Judah, verses 15 through 19. This is another instance of sarcasm and irony. Can you imagine you're there with your siblings and your dad starts pointing at you and starts speaking to the other sibling and goes, see how awful you are? Well, that's kind of what's going on here. Israel, look how terrible, Judah, look how awful Israel is. Look how wretched they are. Look how idolatrous, look at what they're, that's what's happening here. Though you, Israel, play the harlot, let not Judah offend. 
Now, there is a picture of hope with Judah, for out of Judah shall come King David, as we saw in Hosea chapter 3. That's, there, that's the line of the Messiah, and so there's hope that shall come from Judah. But Judah itself at this time wasn't as far gone as Israel, and so there is a warning. Judah has their problems. Judah has their idolatry as well. And eventually, you know, we know that the northern kingdom is taken in 722 BC. You all know the dates by now, right? And 586 is when Judah is taken by Babylon. You know, certainly Judah eventually does, but it's like what, you know, 100 or so years after Israel. But so at this time, they're moving that way, but there's still hope. There's still warning. And so look how awful Israel is, Judah. I don't suggest you do that with your children, by the way. Don't actually, you know, that, don't do that. But this works well for, uh, for Israel. You don't play favorites. Uh, but that's what certainly works well here. Though you, Israel, play the harlot, let not Judah offend. Let not Judah engage in idolatry as well. And he goes on to talk about things that they could use for idolatrous practices. Don't come up to Gilgal. You remember Gilgal in the book of Joshua? It's when the people finally enter into the land of Canaan after 400 years. They enter in. They build the monument to the Lord God Most High of his faithfulness and goodness. It was a good thing. It was meant to be a sign as their you know, father's walking along with Junior. And they said, Junior asks, what's that, Dad? Well, look what Yahweh did. See how people can take good things and make them bad gods? And that is the warning here taking Gilgal, and Gilgal will come up again in 9 and 12, and they eventually do, make it an idol, and they worship and use that good thing and make it a bad God, brethren. I surmise that for us, that's our idolatry today. I surmise, I don't think we're making idols, at least maybe you're not telling me you're making idols somewhere, but I surmise we're not, you know, engaging in woodwork and setting them up in our shrine somewhere in our house, but we have things And so many things. Phones. I mean, that's the new idol today, isn't it? I mean, phones are not bad in and of themselves. We can call people. We can do good things with them. But a lot of bad can happen with them as well. Food, right? We need to eat, right, to stay alive. But eating too much is an idol. Our bellies become our gods. Drinking or alcohol. A little bit is not a sin, dear brethren. Drinking alcohol. But it becomes an idol, Dare I say, sometimes children can be idols. Our jobs can be our idols. Our things can, I mean, there's so many things that can be idols. I mean, Calvin says our hearts are like idol factories for a reason. Again, thanks be to God for the Lord Jesus Christ. He forgives us for all the things that we make idols. And we can find forgiveness in him and seek strength and aid from the Holy Spirit. But there's warnings here. Don't come up to Gilgal. Nor we'll go up to Beth Avon again. More sarcasm here. More irony here. This is probably a bit of a dig at Bethel. Do you remember when the kingdoms were divided? Jeroboam set up two. He set up two houses of the Lord. One in Bethel, which means house of the Lord, and one in Dan, so that the people in the north would not go to Jerusalem. He did not want the people to go to Judah. And so he set up rivals to Jerusalem. One was Bethel. And Bethel, again, was good. It's where God appeared to Jacob and said, this is where I'm going to build the house of the Lord. But Israel took that and made it a bad God. And rather than being in the house of God, it is now called the house of wickedness. That's what Beth-Avon means. 
So don't come up to Gilgal. Don't go up to Beth Aven. Don't swear an oath saying as the Lord lives because it will be an empty oath. It will be an empty sacrifice. It will be an empty allegiance to the Lord. Why? Because Israel is stubborn, like a stubborn calf. Now the Lord will let them forage like a lamb in open country. Israel has become like that incorrigible son. The Lord warns. The Lord's given them the, given them the word. The Lord even sends them into exile and they still don't get it. That's why we need the savior to come who is Christ. They're like that incorrigible son from Deuteronomy 21. Yahweh does everything, but they still will not listen. Henry says, as a heifer that is turned loose, runs madly about the pasture or if put under the yoke, will draw back instead of going forward. will struggle to get her neck out of the yoke and her feet out of the furrow. Thus unruly, ungovernable, untractable were the people of Israel. They were stubborn. They kicked against God. They did not listen. They were like a stubborn calf. But again, more irony. Now the Lord will let them forage like a lamb in open country. Brethren, we all love Psalm 23, right? The Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. And brethren, he is that for his people. Christ is the most blessed good shepherd that we have in Revelation 7, talking about the end. We are going to be led to living fountains of waters. The, 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 the people of God from every tribe, tongue, and nation, we have this one who is our shepherd and will lead us. See that imagery, blessed imagery. That's not here. That's the irony. Now the Lord will make, let them forage. That is, they need, they're going to provide for themselves in the open country. And that open country probably refers to them being kicked out of the land and going into exile. They're going to be like a sheep without a shepherd. The Lord will let them forage like a lamb in the open country, pointing to exile. Judah, don't do this. Ephraim and Israel is a bad example. Verses 17 through 19, that continues. Ephraim was the dominant tribe in the northern kingdom. Sometimes Ephraim is interchanged for Israel. Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Let him be. Their drink is rebellion. They commit harlotry continually. Her rulers dearly love dishonor. Rebellion, perpetual fornication, and love for the things that are not honorable in the sight of God. And what's going to happen is she is going to be ashamed that is, she is going to be judged. The wind has wrapped her up in its wings, talking about Assyria coming and driving her and bringing her into captivity. And they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. The reality is she is going to have judgment upon her and she is going to walk away in shame because of the wickedness of her sacrifices. She thought she was worshiping God right, but in reality was making uh, a mockery of the worship of God, bringing in sacrifices to Baals into the household of God, and God will punish them. You want foreign gods, two foreign gods, you shall go. And that's what he does. They shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. What the world deems honorable and what God deems honorable 
are often very different things. That's why we want to do our best to be a people of the book and be a people who loves to worship. And brother, one thing we can take away from this is how neglectful God's people can be when it does come to worship. Maybe we're not intoxicated with strong drink, but perhaps we could say the neglecting of the house of the Lord can bring a cloudiness to our minds, dear brethren. As I said, the strongest sheep are the ones who understand this very thing and make use of the means of grace. Not saying you're not going to have problems, not saying you're not going to have issues, but why is it that the things that we need most are the hardest things to do? Why is it after you've had a nice long nap on Sunday, oh, I got to get up and go to church. Why do we think that way? Oh, I, need to, I should probably pray. I should pro- why, why are those things the hardest for us? Well, they are the best for us, are they not? And we need to be in the house of the Lord because this is a glimpse and foretaste of heaven. We shall see Christ as he is. We shall worship him world without end. And if there's anything that COVID-19 taught us, I've been thinking about that lately. I don't think I've really gotten over it, if I'm just being honest with you. Everything that's gone on, the resp- I just don't think, whatever your response was with that whole thing, one thing it for sure taught us is the importance of gathering, right? I seem to think we're drifting again, don't you? How quickly God's people can drift once again when it comes to the things of God and the things of work. I'm probably speaking to the choir here, preaching to the choir here. But there does seem to be a bit of a drift with what I have observed, or at least perhaps a lack of self-awareness when it comes to these very things. We must love the worship of God, dear brother. Now, as we close, I always try to bring some sort of connection with Christ in. I think in God's providence, we talked about boldness and shame this morning in 1 John 2. Boldness and shame at the throne of judgment when Christ comes again. And certainly we see that those who are not in Christ, they shall be ashamed because of their sin. But those who have believed upon Christ, they shall be, have boldness and have encouragement and be covered in the blood of Christ when they go to that final judgment. They shall have a right mind. And the beautiful thing is, dear brethren, when Christ redeems us, does he not give us a right mind? Now that we don't have problems and issues and times where we don't have the best judgment, but one of the most blessed things about salvation is the recovery of common sense. And you can turn with me to Mark chapter 5 as we close. This is the section concerning the demon-possessed man in the country of the Gadarenes or Gergesenes or Gerasenes or however you want to say that. But after the Lord Jesus tells the legion to get out of him. Notice in verse 15. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Isn't that what God does as he renews us in the image of our Christ? Are we not transformed by the renewing of our mind, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12? The only way to have a right mind and a right way to see the things of this world is in and through our Christ and our Lord. And if he has given us a new mind, if he has redeemed us from our own insanity, shall we not worship him in spirit 
and in truth. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we are thankful for what you teach us in your scriptures concerning our idolatry. Thank you that we have been redeemed from it, but thank you so much that you teach us how often we can take good things and make them bad gods, especially as it pertains to the things of you. And please forgive us for neglecting the blessed things that you've revealed in your word concerning worship and concerning how you cause your people to grow. Thank you that you are very patient and long-suffering with us. We need a lot of reminding. We need a lot of correction. We need a lot of reproof. And thank you that you do give it. Thank you that you use various ways to shake us out of our slumber. And thank you that you do so by your spirit with the word, even through various and different types of passages. Passages that encourage, passages that uplift, passages that also challenge and warn us as well. Please help us as we navigate this world in which we live. Help us as we navigate the insanity of all that is around us. Help us to be watchful against our own hearts and the drifting that we can have. And thank you that we have such a high priest. Help us not to sin, but if we do, thank you that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so our Savior, our Lord, our Christ, wash us afresh in the blood of you. Send forth your Spirit. Help us to grow in your ways. Help us to worship you. Help us to love you. And we thank you for all that you've done for us. So help us now as we go into the world. Give us the strength that we need. Help us in our various jobs. Help us not to make them idols. Thank you for spouses. Help us not to make them idols, but to love them and care for them. Help us to love our children and not, again, to make them idols, but to love and care for them. And help us, O Lord, uh, in various other things to be ever watchful. Thank you so much that you protect us from things that we do not see even coming. And thank you that all of our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, because of the sufficiency of our Christ. So be with us now by by your spirit, we pray in the name of Christ.